So we're going to continue along the lines of the name. Now, the name in the Hebrew is the word Shem. Now, Shem was Noah's oldest son. Now, I want you to hear this. The name, we recording? Okay, good. The name in Hebrew. So when you say the name, the Hebrew name for the name is the word Shem. But Shem was the oldest son of Noah. I know he looked at me like, hold on. Shem was the oldest son of Noah. And this is not really a part of my message, but I thought I'd just throw it out here. And so after the, God destroyed the world with water, Noah's oldest son name was Shem. And Shem traces all the way back to Abraham. So Noah had three sons, Shem, uh, Japhat, and Ham. And Shem just so happened to be the great, 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 great grandfather of Abraham. And if you know anything biblically, that Abraham lineage is, tra is traced all the way to Jesus, 42 generations. So we talked about the word, the name, in which in the Hebrew, it literally means his fame. It means his glory. It means his reputation. So when the Bible said that unto us a child is born and a son is given, we're talking about Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Unto us a, a, uh, a child is born and a son is given and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That word name means that his glory, his reputation is about to go forth in the world. Now that is in the Hebrew. When you talk about the name in the Greek, it is the word animas. And it means everything that you can possibly think of when you think of God. His joy, his peace, his love, his kindness, his gentleness, his strength, his glory, his patience, his kindness, everything that you can possibly think of, that's what the name means. So when we say in the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about J-E-S-U-S. The power is not in saying Jesus. The power is in the name. It's in what Jesus stands for. And so our first message was the name and the kingdom. Our second message was the name change. Today, we're going to come from the topic of the code of conduct. The code of conduct. And our first scripture is going to come from Colossians 3 and 17. Now, the way I'm going to do it on today, this teaching, because I usually teach in three different ways. I'll do it in sermon forms where you have three different topics or three different key points. Um, or I'll do what you call a topical teaching in which I'll use, let's say, the word love. And I'll go throughout the Bible and I'll pull, extract the word love from the scriptures, explain to you what that means. Or I'll do what is called a contextual teaching. And that is when you take a, a slab of scripture and you just explain it in the proper context. Because we quote scripture all the time. And you can take one scripture and you can use it totally out of context. Totally out of context. Especially when we are coming from the epistles. The epistles means letters. These are the letters that Paul wrote to the church. And so let's just say, for the sake of understanding, each chapter of the epistle is a, a, a page of a, of a letter. So Paul writes his letter to the book of Colossians. Our first scripture is Colossians 3 and 17. Now the addresses are written on there so you can find the scripture. So it wasn't the, when he wrote the letter, it, wasn't, it didn't originally have these addresses on it. The addresses were put on there so that you can find the scripture. 
So let's say Colossians 3 and 17. Let's say this is the third page of this letter and the 17th line. And so if you don't understand what happened on the first page, the second page, you can take the third page and the 17th line and you can misconstrue it. You can use it to say whatever you want to say. And oftentimes when I'm teaching or when I'm telling people about scripture, because a lot of times in religion, now there's a difference between church and there's a difference between religion. There's a difference between what God wants to accomplish in the earth through him being our father than, and religion in which religion literally means to, the attempt to find God. Okay? And so it's a difference. And so a lot of times, in a, even in the book of Hebrews, people will use uh, Hebrew 13 and 17, where it says, obey those that have the rule over you, for they watch for your soul. And religion will use this to keep people at bay. If you say something or you move, they'll take you to the scripture and they'll say, the Bible says this. So whatever I tell you to do, you, gotta, you have to do. Now, the book of Hebrews consists of 13 chapters. So they took the 13th, they went to the last page of the letter, used the 17th, and there's only 23 scriptures in the 13th chapter. They used the 17th verse to control people and don't understand, one, why the letter was written. Why did he write a letter to the Hebrews? So they'll take a, a, a verse from the last page of a letter and use it to control people and not even understanding what it says on the first page. So that's why the Bible tells you, say me, it tells you to study to show yourself approved unto God. You study. I teach, you study. Because you don't know what I'm telling you. I give you permission, please go back and research everything that I teach you. Because that's, this is what has happened in religion, is that people hear a scripture and they just use one scripture. They'll use a scripture in the book of Psalms, it's 150 chapters. So I'm going to do a contextual teaching today. We're actually going to come from the entire third chapter of the book of Colossians. Now in the first chapter of the book of Colossians, he talks about the preeminence of Christ. He's letting us know that God is going to use Christ to create the world. And in that scripture or in that, that chapter, he lets us know that all things were created through Christ, for Christ, and without Christ, nothing exists. Then when you come to the second chapter, he's giving them the rules and the regulations of this new life that they're supposed to have. And once we get to the third chapter, he is beseeching them or he is urging them to apply this to their life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the 17th verse, and then I'm going to walk you from the first verse all the way to the 25th verse. Amen? All right, let's do this. Colossians 3 and 17 says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, we're talking about the name. Now, there's several scriptures in the Bible that tell us to ask in his name. And we're going to do that probably next week or the week after that. It tells us to ask in his name. It tells us to gather in his name. Now, if I ask in his name, I'm not asking. And after I'm done asking, say Jesus. Give me that pen in Jesus' name. No, that's not how you ask in his name. When we gather in his name, we're not gathering just saying Jesus, 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 Jesus. No, that's not how we gather in his name. Paul is explaining or he's teaching uh, uh, the Colossian church how to operate in the name. And so in verse 17, he tells them, whatever you do. Not some of the stuff, whatever you do in word or whatever you do in deed, do it representing the name of the Lord and giving thanks to the Father. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the privilege of 
having the name. So what would happen is they had so many different names. El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, Yahweh. Then they had this Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah Raphael, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shammah. They had all these different names describing who God was to them. But in the New Testament, we don't do that. All that is removed and we just simply call him father. We just simply call him father. All of those names have been removed. But Paul tells us in Romans 18, 8, chapter 15, that through the spirit of adoption, through being born again, now you can cry, Abba, Father. So in the Old Testament, they did not have the privilege of calling him father. Nobody in the Old Testament called him father. Nobody had the privilege. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not Elijah. Not Gideon, not Deborah, not Barak. None of them had the privilege of calling him father. This is the whole purpose of the New Testament is for is so that we can now become his children. And so Paul is telling the church. It is now your responsibility to bear the name. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our father who are in heaven. Make his name holy. So it is the church job to make his name holy in the earth. If there's going to be any holiness in the earth, it's going to have to be through God's children. It would not be God coming down here and making this land holy. No, if there's going to be any change in your community, in your neighborhood, in your household, it's going to be because you made his name holy. Now, so he said, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in word, speech, whatever comes out your mouth, it should represent the Father. Whatever action you do, deed, it should what? Represent the Father. All right, now let's, let's start at Colossians 3 and 1. Let's walk through this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, Paul is letting them know. Because you have been raised up, because now you are a child of God and your father is in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He's saying, therefore, keep seeking things above. So don't seek the reputation of earth. Don't seek the reputation of people. Don't seek the reputation of celebrities. Your reputation should be in the Father. Verse 2, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Because of verse 3, you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. So you have died to your natural life. And now you have a spiritual life. And he lets us know that this life is hid with Christ in God. And I know we talked about that. If the life is hid with Christ in God, then it can only be revealed in Christ. So everything that you want to do, you want to be, you want to become, it only happens as you represent his name. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So Christ is our life. Christ is our spiritual life. So you have a natural life and you have a spiritual life. Christ is our spiritual life. He is our divine nature. When we were born again, his life was transfused into our spirit. And we became one with him. That's why we are called the body of Christ. This is why in John 15, 
Jesus says, I am the vine, the true vine, and you are the branches. He said, he's the vine and you are the branches. The vine comes from the root and the branches stem from the vine. He's letting you know you are connected to me. He's the vine, we're the branches. So now, he says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. Now, he'll be revealed in two ways. The second way he'll be revealed, then I'll do the first, is when we die. Ultimately, at the end of this earth, or when we die, we're going to be in awe on how much we were like him, spiritually speaking. But it must first be revealed on earth. So who you are in Christ must first be revealed on earth. That's what we're teaching today. This whole thing about the whole purpose of Christianity being live here, suffer, and then die and hope you find a spot in heaven is crazy. It is crazy. He wants to reveal his life in you now. He wants to reveal his nature in you right now. He don't want to wait till you die. Why? What? That is the stupidest point. Okay, let me stop. Let me stop. I'm not going not gonna to do that. Y'all almost got me. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead. Why? Because your life is hid in Christ. Because Christ is your life. Because Christ is your life, you need to consider the deeds of your flesh dead. Now, that means you are to deprive your body of power. When we did the fast this week, who journaled? Anybody journal this week? I think Jermaine told me he had. I told him, when you fast, I want you to journal your flesh. And see how much, you know you're not supposed to be eating this day, but see how many times you walk to the refrigerator. <laughs> you know you fasting, but I want you to show you, I want to show you that your flesh has a mind of its own. Your flesh, only thing your flesh wants to do is eat, sleep, sex, watch TV, drink. And you know why? Because the flesh knows that the end of it is, is death. That's why the Bible says that the spirit... The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. The flesh knows its end, its death. The spirit is always warned against the flesh because the spirit knows I live forever. After I leave this body, I have to stand before God. He knows that. The spirit knows that. The flesh doesn't know that. But it has a mind of its own. It tells you what to do. All day. So he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, greed, which amount to what? Idolatry. Now, idolatry is self-worship or it is worth anything that you worship other than God. Now, when we're talking about worshiping God, we're not talking about just standing in front of God, telling him how great he is. No. Worship is literally what who you stand before and desire to impart into you so i can worship rappers which means i can have an overwhelming need and desire to want to be like them or i can worship god in which my sole desire is for him to impart his ways into me I want his love. I don't want the world love. Soon as you do something wrong in the world, their love is over. <laughs> it's over. I want his peace. His peace is in, during conflict, I have peace. The world peace is what? Absent of conflict. So when everything is good in your life, they ha you have peace. But in God, I want his peace. I want his joy. I don't want the world joy because the world joy is long as I have stuff, I'm happy. His joy, it don't matter what I have. I understand who my father is and I understand everything will always work in my favor. So now 
Your earthly body can only be controlled through the quality of your soul. I'm going to say that again. Your earthly body can only be controlled through the quality of your soul. You are a spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Your body can only be controlled by your soul. Your soul consists of your mind. It consists of your will and it consists of your emotions. Whatever you put into your mind develops your soul. So, mm. that's why the Bible says that you will be in good health and you will prosper even as your soul prospers. So, the more you put the things of God into your mind, the more you feed yourself with his will and what he wants you to do, you will find your soul prospering. When your soul prospers, your body prospers. Your life prospers. This is what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to align your soul with who you are in Christ. Because when you're born again, you become God's child at the spirit level. But your mind is not there yet. Your heart is not there yet. Verse 6. Now, let's, let me run through verse 5 again. It says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amount to idolatry. Verse 6, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now, let me explain this to you, okay? It says, for it is because of these things. Now, sin... Sin dominates the unguarded soul. Sin dominates the unguarded soul. If I don't put something in me that diverts me from doing what the flesh says, I automatically walk in the ways of my flesh, which equals sin. Okay? Now, when it talks about the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience this is what this means it doesn't mean that God is looking down on earth looking at people doing stuff wrong and he's releasing wrath no just like in the natural realm if you abide by the law you don't go to jail sometimes <laughs> I guess well y'all know what I mean <laughs> if you abide by the law so let's just say you driving down the street and the speed limit is 45. As long as you stay at 45 or under 45, there is no law against that. But if you come going 70 miles per hour, now you have to be dealt with by authority. This is how the spirit realm works. This is how the spirit realm works. As long as I live a divine life towards God and the angelic presence and the blessings of God come into my life, the moment I go against his word, I automatically attract satanic attention. This is why the Bible says where there's envy and there's strife, there's every evil work. So your very actions, your very mindset, your very heart attracts darkness or it attracts light at all time. So this is what he means by because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. One of my favorite scriptures in Proverbs 25 and 28 says, "He that have no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls." I'm going to read that again. Proverbs 25 and 28. He that have no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and, and, and is without walls. If you have no control over your spirit, man, and you allow your flesh to lead you to do anything, you are like a city in which anything can come in. If you don't control your mind, Anybody can say anything to you and it'll control you. That's why I don't play the game, you made me mad. No, you can't make me mad. <laughs> if you can make me mad, that means you have more control over me than I do. 
And if you can make me mad, that means that I have no control over my own spirit and anything can come in. So your behavior attracts either light or darkness. Now, the title of the message, the name gives us a code of conduct in his family in which we can attract blessings or blessings or attract curses. God does not curse mankind. God does not curse mankind. God sets the rules and regulations. He's authoritarian, but he's not authoritative, meaning he sets the rules, he sets the regulations and the guidelines, and he allows you to make up your mind if you want to obey it or not. When you decide whether you want to obey it or not, the consequences of your obedience either attracts lightness or it attracts darkness. It either attracts blessings or it attracts curses. Just like a child, you tell a child, clean up your room. That's a decision. <laughs> That's the word. Clean up your room. The child says, I'm not going to do it. You didn't, you didn't want to whoop them. But they made their decision. And because they made their decision, now you have to make your decision. If you tell the child to clean up their room and they decide to clean a room up, nothing happens. Matter of fact, there's probably a reward in it. This is how it works. Verse 7. It says, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Letting us know at one point in time we all lived a life disobedient to God. We all live the life disobedient to God. And I've been in conversations lately with people letting people know that, look, when you become God's child, when you are born again, God is not focused on your sin. The reason why he's not focused on your sin is because when he met you, you were a sinner. When he met you, you was a sinner. Before you were born again, you were a 100% sinner. Which means all of your actions opposed his will. So once he has brought you into the family, he's no longer just looking at your sins. He's more interested in your maturity. He's not looking at your sins. He's looking at how much you are maturing. He's not looking at the fact that you are 100% sinner and now your sin is increasing. No, he wants to see how much of my life is becoming your life. So you was 100% sinner. Now you constantly live for God. You constantly put the word in you. You constantly pray. You constantly fellowship. And now you're 90%. Now you're 80%. Now you're 70%. Now you're 60. What's happening? You're maturing. You're losing the sin life and you're taking on the life of Christ. Y'all with me? So prior to being born again and adopted, prior to your new nature, your new life, we lived a life in disobedience that attracted death, which means we attracted a life without his blessings. This is why in verse 8 it says what? But now. But now. So in verse 7, he says, and in them, talking about the sins, you once lived this way. But now he says in verse 8, but now, which means because now you bear my name. Now you are in my family. But now you also put them all aside. Put what aside? Anger. Why do he want you to put anger aside? Because anger is a misrepresentation of his name. Wrath. Why do he want us to put wrath to the side? Because wrath is a misrepresentation of his name. Malice, slander, and abusive speech from the mouth. He's asking us to do this for two reasons. One, that this does not represent his name. Two, it deflects the blessings from you. So he's only asking you this so, that you can, so he can bring blessings into your life. It is a code of conduct. 
This is what the name is. So when Paul is saying, whatever you do in word or deed, do this in the name of the Lord. He's telling us this, or he's telling the church of Colossians this. Look, do it this way so that the blessings of God or the blessings of the Father can come into your life. Did I skip that part? Yeah. Because in verse, let me go. In verse 4, it lets us know, it said, when Christ, who is our life? You don't have to go back to it. It says that Christ is our life. And let me paint a picture for you. Let's say you were adopted by LeBron James or whoever you considered rich and wealthy. This is, what'd you say? Bill Gates, okay. Now, when the Bible tells us that Christ is our life, this is how this looks. Christ is God's son. When he tells us Christ is our life, it is the equivalent of you being adopted by LeBron James. LeBron James' son, LeBron James Jr. What he's telling you is this. Once you are adopted into the family, the life that you once had, you lost. And now the same life that LeBron James' kids get, you now get that same life. So this is why he is telling us, look, do away with this. This is the reason why the Bible tells us that we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It says you are heirs of God, but you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you right now. But Paul is teaching them to let them know all of the epistles is about spiritual development. As you read Romans, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, all those Corinthians, all those books are about spiritual development. He is letting them know how to now operate in the father's world from the, from earth. He's letting them know, look, now that you are in this family, there's certain things that if you do this, it's going to cut you off from this blessing. But if you do this, you can have it. That's why the Bible tells us, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So what is he saying? If you are not poor in spirit, you lose the blessing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So if you're not meek, you don't inherit the earth. It's a code of conduct. He is letting us know how we should act, how we should respond as his children. Verse 8, he says, but now you also... Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech of the mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self. Since you laid aside the old self. Now the old self is you laid aside the old nature. You laid aside the old nature, meaning you no longer do things like you did when you were in Adam before you got saved. Or it means this. You no longer do things in a manner that represents your earthly family. Now all of your attention is what? Doing things according to his world. Doing things according to what his name represents. So he says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. You laid aside the old nature with its evil practices. Now he letting us know what? This is who we were. You laid all that stuff aside when you put on your new nature. Verse 10, he says, and you have what? Put on your new self. So you laid aside the old self and you put on your what? Your new self so you gave your life to Christ you were born again you have a new life and it says and put on your new self who is being renewed you are being renewed to a true knowledge I want you to get this to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him who created us God the father so he's letting us know you are being renewed to a true knowledge 
In other words, you are growing up to understand who you really are. Because the Bible says in Christ you become what? New creatures. All things are passed away. All things have become new. So he's saying you, you have put on your new nature because you took off the old nature. And you are now growing up to a true knowledge. And that true knowledge is according to the image of God. Now what is the image of God? It is the soul. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1, 25 through 27 that he created us in his image according to his likeness. Likeness is spirit, image is your soul. Let me say that again. Likeness is spirit. So you're already in his likeness, why? Because you've been born again. Now he wants to renew you to his image. That's why the Bible says that be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Because he's trying to... All the development and all the growing happens in your mind. It happens in your mind. This is the task at hand. It is a code of conduct. The whole purpose, I'm not going to even do that to y'all. Ask y'all why we come to church. Look, all are ready. The, number, the first reason why we come to church is to be conformed to the image of Christ. The image is the soul. Your mind, your heart, your appetite, your aversions, your character, your disposition, all of this is the reason why you come to church. You come to church because you want this to change. One day y'all going to scream hallelujah. Somebody going to do it. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free man, but Christ is all and in all. So this growing up thing is for whoever wants to become a part of the family. It don't matter if you're Greek. It don't matter if you're Jew. It don't matter if you're a Gentile. It don't matter if you're Samaritan. It don't matter if you're Mexican. It don't matter if you're African. It's not for a particular person or type of people. It's for everybody. Verse 12. So, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see the switch? So he went from telling you, look, lay aside your old self. Then he tells you to put on your new self. Then he tells you to, to put on your new self because you are being renewed to a true knowledge, to understand who you are and what you are trying to now become like the father. He lets us know that this renewal is not for a specific person because Jesus ministry was to the Jews but Paul ministry was to the Gentiles now verse 12 he says so as those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved so if you have been chosen of God you are holy and you are beloved now this speaks to your position this speaks to how heaven now sees you when God looks down earth and he sees his child, he says, you are holy and you are beloved. He's, he's not looking in earth and looking at your sin. That's not what he's looking at because he knew once I pulled you out the world, once I pulled you out the orphanage, you had to be raised. You had to be developed. There is nothing in the scriptures that, that says that once you are saved, automatically there will never be any more sin in your life. That's not the case. So he says, as those who have been chosen of God. Now, when he's talking about chosen, he's not saying, I want Terrell, but I don't want Mary. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I want Sierra, but I don't want Chris. Chosen means this. I called all y'all. And whoever decided they wanted to come is the chosen. 
And those who I've chose, you are holy and beloved. And because you are holy and beloved, watch this. I need you to make my name holy. This is why the Bible calls us salt. Because those who are his children of God, we are salt because we preserve his reputation in earth. He's saying, if, look, Dre, if, if nobody else represents my name, I want you to do it. I want you to be the salt. This is why he calls us light. He wants us to illuminate his name in earth. There should be a distinction between someone who is saved and someone who's not. Someone who's a child of God and someone who is not. There should be an obvious distinction. This is why he calls us his children. He calls us his children because we are supposed to be the ones that reveal his DNA in earth. So you say, ain't no love in my family. Well, you and your family. <laughs> there ain't no peace in my household. Why is that? You and your household. There ain't no good men. Well, there ain't no good women. This all you hear about what is not. He's saying you should make my name holy in the earth. So he says to those who he have chosen, who is holy and beloved. Now, look what he's asking us to do, because the title of the message is the code of conduct. He's saying, I want you to put on a heart of compassion. I want you to be kind. I want you to walk in humility. I want you to have gentleness and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another, which means endure one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It's a code of conduct. Y'all so funny. It's a code of conduct. This is what the name means. When Paul asked them, look, whatever you do in word or deed, it is a code of conduct. When he looks in the earth, what he wants to see is this. Who's making my name holy? Verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ ruling your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts unto God. And this is our, our main scripture. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the who? Lord. Now, Lord is the Greek word kaidos, which means master or owner. I want you to hear me, which means master or owner. Who in here say Jesus is their Lord? Okay, that's all I need. Lord is the word kaidos, which means master or owner. It is one who has authority to tell one what to do, but does not have authority to control one's will. I'm going to read it again. It is one who has authority to tell one what to do, but does not have authority to control one's will. A Lord is a master or it is an owner. Now, you can only be a master if you have a slave. Now, when I say slave, I know we in America, we 2019, 
And it's a lot of, all, yeah, pretty much all black people. So when I say slave, y'all automatically think about people on ships coming across the, no, that's not what I mean by slave. Slave is the same word as servant. So in order for him to be a master, he has to have a slave. In order for him to be an owner, he has to have a property. Now, in order for you to be a servant, you have to give your will to him. They're, they're, in order to be a slave, to be a master, there has to be a slave. Example, you have a, a, remote, a TV and you have a remote control. The remote control is the master and the TV is the slave. When you push the button, the TV does whatever the remote tells it. Now, in order for that remote to connect with that TV, there has to be something in the remote and the TV that connect. That's your will. If he doesn't have your will, he can't tell you what to do. That's why the definition is, it is one who has authority to tell one what to do, but he does not have the authority to make you do it. In order for you to be a servant, you have to give him your will. Luke 6 and 46 says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He's asking them, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? Now, another name for a Lord is a husband. Is a husband. The church is the wife or the bride of Christ. So he's speaking to the church. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? Why do you say I'm your husband, but you don't do what I tell you to do? You call me husband. Women, don't throw none at me, okay? We talking about the church, all right? We ain't talking about marriage today. <laughs> We ain't talking about marriage today. We're talking about church, all right? But it's relevant, okay? Jesus is our Lord because we gave ourselves to him to be conformed to the image so that we can operate as his body in earth. Now, he's asking a question. Why do you call me Lord, but you do not do what I tell you to do? Look, women, we ain't talking about marriage today, all right? I see y'all out there. The men like, yeah, talk about it. Nope. Y'all crazy. Now, in verse 18, Paul says, mm, wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fit, fitting in the Lord. Now, why is he asking wives to subject themselves to the husband? Because you took on his name. He's asking you to submit to the husband's myth. This is what subjection means. Subjection means that you are bringing yourself under your husband's mission. And he's asking you to do this because you took on the husband's name. The husband did not take on your name. In the same manner, because we're not, like I said, we're not talking about marriage. We're talking about the church. He's asking the church to do everything in the name of the Lord because we took on the Lord's name. He didn't take on our name. And so he says, wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. So the same reverence you will give the Lord, give that to your husband. Then he says, husbands, love your wives 
and do not be embittered against them. Y'all stop. God, dog. They over there elbowing and all that. Now, he's telling you to love her because she gave her life to you. Because you asked, you proposed to her and said, would you marry me? She said yes. And because she gave her life to you, he's saying you are not allowed to be embittered against her. Love her because she gave her life and you accepted her. So it is your job as her Lord to take care of her. Spiritually, mentally, physically, folk, physically, socially, and financially, it is your job. Like I told you, the Greek word for uh, Lord is kairos, which means master or owner. You can only be a master if you have a slave, and you can only be an owner if you have property. Now, if you are a lord over property, that means you're responsible to take care of it. It means you're responsible. Why are you responsible? Because she brought her mission up under you. So you are now responsible for that. We're not talking about marriage. We're talking about the church. <laughs> and so what he's letting us know is that Jesus would never be embittered against the church, which means he's, when he married the church, he was going to give the church enough time to grow into him. Now, Paul is using all of this from that one directive of whatever you do in the name of Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord. He's just using the family relation. So first he uses the husband and the wife. Next he uses the father and the child. Then he uses the master and the slave. Y'all got me all off. <laughs> Verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they would not lose heart. So what is he telling us? Us as God's children, as long as we are obedient to his name, we never have to worry about anything. But then at the same time, he's saying fathers do not exasperate your children so they do not lose heart. So he's letting us know that God would never speak a word into your soul that is not of the gospel. He's letting physical earthly fathers know that you should never speak death into your child. And the same that goes for spiritual fathers. You should never put a word into a, 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 a member of the body that is not of God that's trying to elevate them. I, man, I, then in verse 22, he says, slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Y'all not going to like this. The, man, the music stopped. So what does this mean? Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, who are your masters on earth? Your employer. Because remember what we're talking about. Everything that you do in word or deed, you are to do in the name of the Lord. So he's letting you know. If somebody, if you fill out an application and you get hired, work that job as if Jesus gave you the job. He says, do not do it with external service. Don't work when they're watching you, and then when they're not watching you, stop working. Be he's telling us this because this is the reason why you lack promotion. You're praying for a raise, but you're not doing everything in word or deed according to the name of the Lord. And so he's telling you this so that you can be promoted. 
He says, whatever you do, verse 23, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing, verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So in the name of the Lord, he's saying this. Whatever you do, no matter if it's in marriage, no matter if it's in parenting, no matter if you are on your job, you are to do that to do what? As if you are representing my name. Now, I'm giving you the code of conduct, and at the same time, I'm giving you the, the code to unlock your blessings. At the same time, I'm letting you know why you're not being promoted. Because you think you're working for people, but at all times, everything you do, you're doing it unto the Lord. Just like I told you about me and my wife, when we got married, we made a decision of what we were going to do. She said, I'm going to be a doctor one day. I said, okay, I'm going to be a pastor one day. We're going to do ministry. Until then, this is what we're going to do. You go to school. I'm going to get money coming in from the Army, from the VA. And while you're going to school, I'll take care of the kids until you graduate. She is bringing what she's doing under my name. Her maiden name is Fleming. She's not Dr. Fleming. She's Dr. what? Hardy. She brought her mission under my mission. That's why her mission is flourishing. If she decided to remove, if she decided, you know what? I'm Dr. Hardy. I have my own practice, and all of a sudden she decided, I'm going to do my own thing. What happens? What happens? It don't work. It don't work. Am I lying? She tried it. No, I, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I am trying to help you on how to be blessed. Okay? One time I remember she had just got a job. We were fresh married, so we were both idiots. I mean, we were both, we were, I mean, we were, no, like we were both immature idiots. I ain't going to lie. But she had just got this job making all this money, and she hadn't had a job in a minute because she, she was carrying Alana, and then she was carrying Akira, so she was pregnant like the first three years of my marriage. Woo! No. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she decided, I'm making more money than you. I ain't finna listen to you. She made that decision. She went to work the next day, and they told she was fired. They said, why? You just fired. So we tried it again. She got another job. So when she got a job, she got mouthy. <laughs> she came to work one day, and they fired her again. So she got another job. Now, I'm helping you in this sense. God is all in elevating you. But this is how he deals with his children. If I let you keep this attitude and elevate you, you're going to think it's right. <laughs> you're going to think it's right. So I have to cut your blessings until you align yourself with my name and then I can flourish you. So she got another job. And this time it was crazy because they fired her boss and asked her to be the boss. She said, I don't wanna be the boss. They said, you fired. <laughs> now, these are the lessons, okay? These are the lessons, the things that happen as God's children that he is always trying to teach us. Everything that he is doing, he is trying to get us to represent his name. Everybody in my house got more clothes than me. Everybody in my house got more shoes than me. 
But this is why God can increase, because my heart was never in me having money, me looking fresh. It was always in representing his name. That's what it's, if you want increase, get your mind off of you and get it on the other individual. Get it on your family. If you want it to, if you want your finances to flourish, if you want your business to flourish, this is the reason her business is flourish is because we put him first. We put him first. And because we put him first, I, lied, I would not lie to you. You can ask anybody who know me, who be around me, anything I want from God, I get it. Anything. Back to the message. Last scripture. Verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. Now, this is how the father world works. His world responds to your words and your deeds. If I desire for you to fail, that automatically comes on me. I fail. If I want to see you successful, it automatically comes on me. It's a heart issue. He is always working on our heart. We was talking this morning about President Trump. I don't care. I ain't got nothing to say about that man. God said he put him in authority. If he put him in authority, only thing I can do is pray because I don't know how he using him. But what happens is this. The more I put my mouth on him, it comes to my household. It brings this order to my household. It's all about a heart issue. It ain't about what he's doing in office. Because watch this. If he put you as president, what you going to do? If he gave you a million dollars right now, you would lose your everlasting mind, let alone give you the power to run a country. What you going to do? You're going to be arrogant as all outdoors. You're going to be calling the military to do whatever you want them to do. He knows it's a heart issue. That's why Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, you better do it representing his name. I don't care what they say about you. You better still love them. Because if you don't, it's just gonna, all it's going to do is hurt your life. It's going to kill your environment. I ain't let nothing in my heart that don't represent him. I ain't let nothing in my house that don't represent him. I ain't let nothing in my ear that don't represent him. I don't care what they say about me. You can say whatever you want to say about me. I love you. That's why the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Even if, watch this, this is my take. They say something about me. My mind is they spiritually immature. This is what I think. You know why? Because they don't know. If they knew, they wouldn't say it. Am I right? If you knew that you talking bad about somebody is going to interfere with your household, your blessings, you would not do it. It's a code of conduct. Watch this. Whatever you do in word or deed either attracts blessings or it attracts curses. So whatever you say or do in word or deed, it either brings divine favor or it curses you, meaning you have a life without divine favor. You either attract angelic presence or you attract demonic presence. This is why he all, he's always talking about us renewing our mind. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Because whatever is on your mind, it attracts that realm. It attracts that spirit. This is the same thing that happened. Watch this. Soon as after the fall, Adam and Eve have two children, Cain and Abel. They both go to offer some up to God. Cain is rejected. Abel is accepted. What Cain do? Kill Abel. He killed Abel. Why? Because God accepted his sacrifice. People will look at your life and see that God is blessing you, and it will bring hatred to their heart. 
You know why Cain offered fruit from the ground, but Abel offered the first of his livestock. It wasn't that Abel's sacrifice was better. It was just that Cain didn't give the first fruit. He took what he wanted for himself and gave God the rest. That's the reason why God asked you to pay tithes and offering. It don't have anything to do. He don't need your money. What God needs your money for? Just be honest. Why would God need your money? He don't need your money. He's telling me you like this. Look, the more you sow into my kingdom, I sow into your kingdom. That's it. It's just to see if I'm your Lord. That's all I want to see. It's a faith issue. It has nothing to do with money. It's a call. That's the only reason why you do it. We do it. So he letting us know, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in his name. Don't do it in your name. Don't do it in your family name. Don't do it to please yourself. Do it to represent him 